Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is the book of Revelation, session 17, the subject of deception. And what we've been doing in this series, and it's, uh, it's important that uh, you could, uh, if you, especially if you're just joining us tonight, important that you uh, would know the way that we're approaching the book of Revelation. We're doing a thorough study, but it's not verse by verse. We're doing theme by theme. So actually, you could come to any session and uh, just as a one-off and still get something out of it because uh, each session kind of stands alone because we're doing the book of Revelation by theme. And, uh, and so it's going to take us quite a while. We're, we're looking at probably spending about two years in the book of Revelation. And so uh, tonight is our 17th session, uh, 17th session on the subject of deception. That's, that's a tongue tire there. Um, so what we're going to do uh, tonight in this session is we're going to talk a little bit about how the subject of deception shows up over and over in the book of Revelation. And we're going to be connecting that uh, to uh, some of what's going on in the entire end time storyline. But what I want to do, my main desire in this long series that we're doing, is I want to see the patterns in the book of Revelation. I want to see the the primary themes. I want to see the sub-themes. How all those things connect together so that we could get a little bit of clarity about what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to the church in giving us these 22 chapters, which we're told at the front end of the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation is given to the church to show the church what is coming. So what is it that is coming? We want to have our understanding in this and not neglect the book of Revelation. So... To set the stage, any of you who have been around me for much or any time or have heard me teach, especially on uh, the end times much, you've heard me say before that I believe that the most uh, important theme related to the end times is the subject of deception. I think it is the absolute most important subject matter related to uh, the study of the end times, otherwise known as eschatology. When we look at the 150 chapters that are devoted to the last generation, the 150 chapters devoted to the time of Jesus' return, the time period right before and the time period right after, the 150 chapters, I think that by far the most important subject for the church to understand is the subject of deception, and it is uh, a repeated subject over and over in the end times. I can think of no subject that deserves more attention than the subject of deception. The reason is because deception is the one thing you don't want to get caught up in, and it's the loudest proclamation that the majority of the planet, including much of the church, will get caught up in deception. So that is a, that is a loud warning from heaven that we need to be on guard, and you can't be on guard unless you're informed. And so it's important to become informed, and not just informed about the Bible in general, that's good, we need that for life and godliness, We need to become informed about the subject of deception related to the last generation and the specific deceptions that the Word of God tells us are coming. So I gave you here that uh, uh, the subject of deception is a primary end-time issue. Gave you a few verses there. It's not all of them. It's just kind of some highlight points. Jesus said this in the Gospels, uh, Luke 21, Watch out. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those that are following Him. Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, 
and the time is near, do not follow them. Why would he say this? If it's not that a lot of people are going to follow them. If it's not that they're going to be convincing enough that there are going to be people that actually fall into that deception. We do not want to undermine or underestimate the power that the Bible says. Let's not talk about extracurricular, you know, reading and, and uh, you know, fiction novels. Let's talk about the, the, the scripture's standpoint, Jesus' words. Let us not underestimate what the Bible says, the power of Satan to deceive, the impact that that'll have in the last generation. Let's not just, you know, oh, well, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, so I'll be fine. Let's not just, oh, I've read the Bible a couple of times, I'll be fine. I go to church, I'll be fine. That, those won't work. That's not going to be sufficient. We are going to have to be those that are paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is warning, those that are paying attention to the specific deceptions that we're told to pay attention to so we don't buy into them. Why would Jesus even waste his breath in the book of Revelation, in the Gospels, giving us specific things? Make sure you're not deceived about this. Why say those words if it's a default that you're not going to be deceived? It's not a default. It's important that we pay attention. The real problem with deception is that if you're deceived, you probably don't know it. That's the real problem. That's the reason that deception is such a big issue. Because if you're in some other attack of the enemy, and deception is not connected to it, it's just, you know, you're in some attack of, you know, uh, you know pain in your heart over, you know, loneliness or, or depression or, 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 you know, physical attacks in your body. The subject of deception is so much worse than that because if you've got any of those other issues, you can normally find your way out of them. You just, you know, seek the Lord. The issue of deception is you're in a pit and think you're not. You're in a dark place and think you're okay. And that's, that's a real problem. As long as you're deceived, there are real consequences. Whether you're nice and deceived or mean and deceived, it makes no difference. Smart or dumb. If you're deceived, there are real consequences for believing those deceptions. And it's, that's really important. The simple solution, if you just need it in a, in a little you know, snapshot, the simple solution is true humility, actual soft-heartedness, and teachable. If you can pursue Jesus with a humble heart, that you're soft-hearted, that you're humble, that you're teachable, and that you, uh, you know, are approaching the word like it's true and believing it, that is the antidote. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's kind of the, the starting point. So if you go, okay, well, I'm good in all those areas, that's a really, really good starting point. That is an excellent foundation. I want to tell you what I believe to be the greatest deception that every other deception is going to lean on this first deception. No other deception will work if not for this first deception, this big deception that is already alive in our generation and it's only going to continue to grow, and that is the questioning of the accuracy and the authority of the Bible. The greatest deception is challenging the authenticity, the, the, uh, the truth, the goodness, and the purpose of the Scripture, the accuracy and the authority of the Bible. Let me tell you why. If you don't have the Bible as the plumb line defining what is true, then you can make up whatever you want to be true and take its place. 
And then the guy down the street can make up something different, and the girl across the street from him can make up something different. And there is no plumb line for truth. There's no plumb line for who God is. There's no plumb line for morality. There's no plumb line for society, no plumb line for how to manage your own heart. There's no plumb line. You can be whatever you want to do, be however you think. All of that, just anything goes. The challenge against the accuracy and the inerrancy, the authority, the God-writtenness of the Bible is the absolute greatest deception because it opens the door for everything else. Because if the Bible's not true, or it may or may not be true, then you can challenge anything. You can challenge morality. You can challenge, you know, uh, you know, social ethics. You can challenge anything. But if the Bible is the plumb line, then it's our source of truth. It's our source of how to be human. It's our source of how to love God. It's our source of how to relate to one another. It's our source of what is coming because the Bible's filled with prophecy. The plumb line of truth, the Word of God. I just want to tell you that the greatest deception is opening the door to the uh, the potential error of Scripture or the, uh, the, uh, the uselessness of it or, or it not having a place. It is objective in all circumstances. It is truly good. And it, is mankind, it has mankind's best interests in mind. Just think about this. When you remove the Bible, and we see it all over our society, now anybody who's got a loud enough voice can redefine truth redefine good, redefine what it means to be human, what it means to be, uh, you know, uh, just productive, redefine. And then because there's no plumb line, somebody else can redefine something completely different five years down the road. You wind up in a complete chaos of immorality and every other form of of, uh, deviance from God's plans for us. Well, the book of Revelation warns about many end time deceptions that are going to creep into the church, creep into society. If I can be honest, I'm far more concerned about the deceptions going to creep into the church than I am about the ones going to creep into society. The reason is the ones that are in society, we're stuck. We're stuck. They're coming. You can do nothing to change that. It is absolutely going to happen. The ones that are going to creep into the church, you can guard your congregation. You can guard your family. You can guard your heart. But you will fail if you have not adequately prepared. So I'm far more concerned about the ones that we can deal with. I'm so much more concerned and consumed with the thought process of the things that Jesus was warning the church about that we wouldn't walk into the deception. I'm going to give you uh, four categories of deceptions that are listed in the book of Revelation. Okay? The first are the deceptions that Jesus warns the seven churches about in Revelation 2 and 3. The second category is the deceptions related to the Antichrist. Third category of deceptions are those related to the harlot Babylon system that's already rising in the earth and will have a great place of prominence in the earth before it's all done. And the final, which is the most bizarre in my opinion, is the deception that will take place after the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Four areas of deception. I'll just give you kind of a little bit of a snapshot here, and now we'll jump in. Jesus warns the seven churches. He's warning against deception. He's saying, churches, don't buy into this. End time church, don't buy into these deceptions. They will be loud. They will be believable. 
They will be established. They will come out of the mouths of well-educated, uh, well-esteemed, or highly esteemed people in your generation. Don't believe them. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The deception of the false Jews. It's interesting. Jesus warns, and again, the book of Revelation primarily written to the last generation, not primarily written to the generation that received the letters. Definitely written to the generation that received the letters, but primarily written to the last generation. Jesus says this, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I just find it to be so interesting that the end time book, the book that was given to us to show the church what would take place at the end of the age. The, the book of Revelation, the entire book is a prophecy about the end of the age. That we would be given a warning about false Jews. There are false Jews rising up now in this hour. They are not Jews. They claim to be Jews. They're holding a message. They're, they're claiming things that are not accurate about Jesus. They're claiming things that are not accurate about the Bible. And Jesus, way back when, was warning, be careful about the believable deception of the false Jews in the last generation. It's one of the warnings that Jesus gives. Now, there are also real Jews. And we are very, very grateful for real Jews. We are very, very grateful for Jews holding to the Word of God and, and teaching on the foundations of who God is. That is valuable. So this is not a word against Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus wasn't warning us against Jewish people. He was warning us against false Jewish people, okay? Those that are not actually Jewish and, and also those that are following Jewish customs but they're, or promoting Jewish customs, but they don't actually follow God in their heart. It's both. It's a twofold uh, deception that he's warning against. Gave you another verse there. It says similarly in uh, Revelation 3.1. Moving on. The deception of false teachers. I gave you this verse here that highlights uh, the, uh, the Nicolaitans, but it also, Jesus um, also points out those that are going to be followers of Balaam and those that are followers of Jezebel. These are three different groups that all represent three different strands of false teaching that will infiltrate the church. Now, we see these things already. You could identify the followers of Jezebel in the most broad sense as those that are promoting a version of grace that says the following. You can do whatever you want with whoever you want and still call yourself a Christian. It's no problem. That's a lie. That is a false version of Christianity as a false teaching. But it's one that's promoted in a lot of different places because it sounds so great, right? Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all your sins, so now it doesn't matter what you do. You can sin all you want. It's good to go with God because your sins have been wiped out. It's not how that works. The Nicolaitans, similarly, those that are teaching people into a, a false uh, grace, a liberty to compromise, the concept of compromise. There's, the point that I just want to make here is Jesus' warning about the deception of false teachers, he's not warning lost people. Lost people are already deceived. It doesn't matter if they hear false teaching. They're already dying and going to hell. I mean, we want them to not, but them hearing a false teacher is not the issue. Them not having Jesus in their heart is their issue. The warning about the false teachings is a direct warning to the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, we need to be careful and begin to heed this warning because we are allowing false teachers into our midst, into the church, in a way that is scary. 
Because if you just sprinkle a little bit of the name of Jesus and a few Bible verses, we have promoted people in church culture that have got large platforms that are not teaching accurately about the scripture, about Jesus, about righteousness, about heaven, about hell. They're not teaching accurately. They're teaching something else. And remember I told you the greatest deception is the Bible being challenged as the plumb line of truth. They're teaching versions of Christianity not found in the word of God. We need to be leery. We want to be aware and careful about false teaching. The deception of false versions of sexuality. Jesus touched on this in Revelation 2. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants, my Christians, my family. She's misleading my family into sexual immorality and into food sacrificed to idols. I want to focus on that sexual immorality We are in an hour right now where there is a rampant growth in acceptable, culturally, acceptable versions of sexuality that go way outside what the Bible says that we're called to. It is a growing reality. It's only going to grow more. That which we are seeing now is still baby step number one by comparison to where this will be in 25 years if the Lord tarries. This is going to explode in the most outrageous ways, even far beyond where it currently is. In the church, in the church, we are already seeing it. It's happening. I I was shocked this week by some things I saw. In the church, this is a growing point of deception because they're being led astray into immorality, which is going to take them away from Jesus. We're talking about life or death, heaven and hell situations here because of people believing deception. Remember, whether you're a nice person or a mean person, if you believe deception, you've suffered the same consequences. There is a great deception hitting the church now and will continue to increase related to other acceptable versions of sexuality that the Bible says, no, that's, that's not how you were made. I just want to take a moment. I don't think the greatest problem right now is the issue of LGBT. I think the greatest issue is how far the church in America and other cultures as well has given into heterosexual immorality. I think that is absolutely the forefront. That is where it starts. So if anybody wants to talk about, well, you believe this or that about, you know, homosexuals, let me tell you, I got a far bigger issue with how much heterosexual immorality there is within the church that we're all high-fiving and covering up and sniffing under the rug. It is a far greater issue, just percentage-wise. And then, oh yeah, by the way, these other forms of immorality that are also not okay. But the floodgates were opened up with heterosexual immorality. It then opened the floodgates for abortion. It opened the floodgates for everything. Because now we want to be able to do whatever we want, have no consequences, with no commitment to a human being. And that was never the intention of God. Sexuality was always designed to be a man and a woman in covenant, in connection, in, in I promise to you and you promise to me until death do us part. In a covenant so that when children were born, they were born into a family. That was always God's intention. And when we varied from that, we've opened the floodgate. Remember, if the Bible's uh, accuracy and inerrancy is let go, there's no end to what can be deemed acceptable. We're seeing it happen, and it's only going to get worse. So my issue is not with this or that. My issue is actually with immorality, which starts with heterosexual immorality within the church that's just been, you know, accepted, and it's not acceptable. 
The deception of a false reputation from others. Jesus said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. We've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it in the in, in context of deception. Others saying about you or about your church or about your denomination or about your group or whatever, about your house of prayer. Others saying, they're awesome, they're fiery, they love Jesus, they're going for it, but it not actually being true. People saying it about you does not make it real. And there will be so many. Jesus is warning about this. This is a warning to the end time church. You're going to live in a generation where there's going to be so many different groups that have a reputation of being awesome with the Lord and they're actually not okay in their hearts. They're actually subject to judgment. They're actually not walking with me the way that I want them to. This is a significant deception. The last one in this category is the deception of a false picture of ourselves. This is the one that Jesus rebukes the church of Laodicea. And he says this, you say, I am rich. You say this about yourself. You say, now again, this is not just Laodicea. This is a significant uh, portion of the church at the end of the age. You say, church of the end of the age, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that's not true. In fact, the way I see you, I see you as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The deception of a false picture of ourselves. So the other one was the picture that others say of us. This is the one, the deception that we have of ourselves. Let me just tell you, the safest way is to stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus will not say any of these words about you if you have made your life actually not, not for show, not in your own mind, not 10 years ago, today. If you make your life actually about pursuing Jesus, his kingdom purposes, and to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The problem is we have this tendency to take a step in the right direction, to pat ourselves on the back, and to imagine that somehow because we took that step, we're in that spot for the rest of our life. And the tendency of the human heart is to snowball either forward or backwards. You never stay the same. Day to day, you don't. There are little micro uh, you know, shifts in your heart, whether towards the Lord or away from the Lord, every single day. We want the trajectory of our heart to be, I love him more today, I love him more next week, more next year, more 10 years from now, because the opposite could also be true. And if we've not taken a self-check, a self-diagnostics, you know, uh, systems check recently, and you want that recently to be every few weeks for the rest of your life, if we've not taken that check, we might be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We might be thinking of ourselves in a former version of ourself, which was accurate, and we're imagining ourselves still there, yet our heart is faded. It is very important. This is a major deception in the last days. Just thinking that we've, we're good with God because of the things that we've done in the past. All right, now I want to talk about the Antichrist deception. So that first one was a warning to the church. This one is still a warning to the church, but it's, it's more aimed at how deceived the world will be, though many in the church will fall into it. It's talking about the coming of the lawless one. I give you this verse in uh, 2 Thessalonians because we touched on it a week ago. The coming of the lawless one is, in a, uh, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all the unrighteous deception among those who perish. I want to just touch on that deception related to lying signs, power, wonders, the anointing of the enemy resting on a generation in order to deceive a generation to believe that the Antichrist is a good idea. I don't want us to, to overlook this. We're just in such a 
a, a typical heart posture to imagine all the bad stuff in uh, the end times is going to only apply to the other guy. We're in such a heart posture to imagine that none of this stuff is going to matter, yet Paul is writing to the church, and he says, I want you to know that the lawless one is going to come according to the working and power of Satan, and that power is going to anoint the, the Antichrist and all those that are with him in signs, lying wonders, and with unrighteous deception that will cause people to believe the lie. He says it's important that you understand this. Let's talk about a few of the ones, a few of these uh, unrighteous deceptions that are listed specifically in the book of Revelation. The first, he's going to raise from the dead like Jesus did. The beast seemed to have had a head wound, a fatal head wound, but the wound had been healed and the whole world was filled with wonder and they followed him. He's got a head wound, he dies, he raises from the dead, everybody goes, that guy was dead a minute ago. And on national television, on global news, we saw him rise from the dead. That is going to cause, it says it right there, it's going to cause the world to be filled with wonder and to follow the beast. This is a deception. The earth and its inhabitants will worship the first beast whose fatal head wound had been healed. A fatal wound. It doesn't say head there. It's elsewhere that it says head. Fatal wound had been healed. So you've got this deception that the Antichrist is going to be able to lure people in because he's going to rise from the dead. I'm telling you, there will be many believers who have read the book of Revelation at least once, who've read this verse before, and when they see this guy rise from the dead, they will believe that he is Jesus. That's why we have this. Because there will be people. This wasn't written to lost people. The book of Revelation is the craziest thing to the church, let alone for the lost world to try to understand without the Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation is not for lost people. It's for saved people. The book of Revelation is instructions for the church. And the church is told the whole world is going to be filled with awe at this guy. Part of the reason that even many within the church will be in awe is because we don't believe our Bibles. And we don't read them. And we don't study them. And we don't know what it says. And while we may have read that verse twice, we've not meditated on it for an hour ever. And so we don't have any living revelation of it. So when some powerful political figure dies and raises from the dead and seems really nice... There's this disconnect where we're not looking at the Bible and seeing it happen in real life. We're just dismissing the Bible and watching real life happen and seeing something really cool happen in the news. That's what happens. Second, the Antichrist has a profound miracle ministry. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of men. Because of the signs it was given power to perform, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. That's a combination between the false prophet and the Antichrist, but the false prophet is the Antichrist's main number one guy. So I brought those scriptures together. There is going to be a powerful miracle ministry of the Antichrist. A miracle ministry. You do miracles and it tends to catch people's attention. You do like bona fide miracles. It's real. It's not like magic illusionist stuff. It's, it really happened. It just, the power that did it was Satan's power, not God's power. We've got to start to get a grid because the Antichrist is going to operate in incredible, real power. It's just power from hell instead of power from heaven. But I'll tell you what, he, nobody argue with this. When you get attacked by the enemy in a really powerful, like, attack, where it's a lust attack, and you're just like, ah, you're just burning. Or it's a depression attack, and it's just like, just so heavy. 
or it's a whatever attack, it's powerful. It's not God. It's not good, but it's very real. We're talking about very real miracles done by the Antichrist and all of those that are surrounding him. He's going to have a miracle ministry that is designed to deceive people. Next, the result of this is most people, most people on the planet will buy in and follow the Antichrist. I've got to move on for the sake of time. The global compromise being celebrated, this is the harlot Babylon system that's going to rise and is already rising. Jesus wanted to make sure in Revelation 18 verse 4 that the church was warned, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. The book of Revelation was given to the church, given to the church, to the church, to show the church what will take place. And here we're told, come out of her, this beckoning of the Holy Spirit. Come out of her. The only reason that we would be told, come out of her, is if there were many who had actually bought in and were in her. The harlot system that's going to rise at the end of the age is all about compromise. Compromising the truth of the word, compromising convictions, compromising all your values. And it's through the pressure of a lure and the promise of wealth. Look at uh, Revelation 18.3 and 18.7. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. The merchants. You know what the merchants are? It's everybody with a small business, medium-sized business, and big business. Merchants, the economy. Those that are participating in the economy. You probably have a job. You're in this merchant category at some level. It says that those in the marketplace were growing excessively rich from the luxuries that, the, uh, that this harlot has uh, acquired in the last days. And it just uh, we're going to spend sessions dissecting the harlot Babylon at the end of the age. It's Revelation chapter 17 and 18. We will spend multiple sessions when we get to that uh, portion dissecting what is this how does it work how does it operate right now we're just kind of introducing the idea a little bit related to deception she's going to have great influence it says all the nations have drunk the maddening wine all the nations all 250 whatever of them all nations if it's a nation yes that one all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries and the kings of the earth were committing adultery with her a generation where all of the governmental leaders of the earth are embracing a false system, a compromising system that is not about the kingdom of God. It is a false version of unity. It's a global system. And her peace will be conditional. So long as you go along with her, there'll be peace and safety for you. So long as you are compliant with her ways in alignment with what she says, there's peace and safety for you. But if you begin to hold the truth and preach the truth, there will be violence against you. And it says this, in her, talking about Babylon and this, this whole system at the end of the age, in her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people of all, of 100%, of everybody who has been slaughtered on the earth. Everybody in that hour that will be slaughtered in that hour will be slaughtered because they would not agree with her ways, with her ideals. They were holding to the truth or holding not even necessarily to Bible truth, just refusing her version of truth. Everybody that refuses her version of truth. There will be this great deception. I just got to tell you, one of the greatest lures to deception 
is the offer of power and wealth, and the alternative is to die. That is the greatest way to deceive somebody. Hey, if you say this, we're going to kill you. But if you don't say this and you just go along with this, not only do you not die, we'll give you a bunch of money and prominence in the earth. What do you think? It is the greatest point or, or power force behind deception, far greater than miracles. The, the, the place of personal prominence and personal safety is like primary in the human heart. And the Harlot Babylon system will maximize on that for sure. Last one we're going to touch on, and then we'll break into our discussion groups that we do here on Saturday nights. Now this one is a bit unnerving. It's a bit odd. If it's a new idea to you, it's probably going to be really new. But in relationship to the subject of deception in the book of Revelation, because remember, our study isn't just end times. Our study is the book of Revelation, theme by theme. Tonight's theme is the subject of deception. This is one more aspect of deception found in the book of Revelation. And there might be others, just one more that we're going to look at tonight. Jesus is going to have a thousand-year rule on earth. That's not deception. That's accurate. Here's a Revelation 20, 4 through 7. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, all of those that are going to die as martyrs in the last days. They came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's a literal 1,000 years. It hasn't started yet. It starts at the end of the age. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, again, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, how long is it? 1,000 years. It's not a mysterious number of, hour, of, time, uh, of years. It's not 1,050 years. It's not 500 years. It's 1,000 years. It says it seven times in one chapter. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, wait, wait. Released from his prison. What's going on there? Let's read this. Satan, for the thousand years, will be locked up in prison. And you know when you're in prison, it's just you can't do much. You can sit there and eat whatever food they give you. You can complain about it, but nobody cares. If you're in prison, there's a lot you can't do, and that's the point. Satan will be locked up for 1,000 years, and there's a whole lot he won't be able to do. Let's read it. An angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, that's hell for just the sake of argument for right now, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. Satan is a big dragon. If you're going to chain up a big dragon, you better have a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, just to make sure we got it really clear, like six versions of his name right there, okay? And he bound him for 1,000 years with this great chain in the abyss. So Jesus is reigning on the earth for 1,000 years. During that same 1,000 years, Satan, for the first time ever, is bound up in hell, all chained up, and he can't do anything. He can't do anything Satan-y. He can't do anything devilish. The accuser of the brethren is locked up. The father of lies, his mouth is shut. The working of Satan... The deceiver of men, the tempter of the human heart. He's locked up for a thousand years. He can't do diddly squat. One thousand years. During that same one thousand years, Jesus is kicking down doors and taking names. Jesus is ruling on the earth, establishing the kingdom of heaven on the earth in an unprecedented way that we have never seen before. 
in something far greater than anything we've ever touched. Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. Satan is locked up and can't talk about it for a thousand years, and then the thousand years is over. Jesus will still be king forever, but the most unusual thing occurs at the end of the thousand years to a generation that has never been tempted in their lives. Not by Satan, not by the power of Satan. By their human nature, yes, but never by that unction of power from a demonic spirit touching their spirit, trying to convince them to do evil. They've watched Jesus with their eyes rebuild the planet and the infrastructure. They've repopulated the earth. A whole generation, generations of people that have never known a day in the life of earth where Satan was roaming around. And all they've ever known is days, weeks, months, and years and decades of Jesus ruling real time. They're watching him on television. They may have shaken his hand once or twice. That's their reality, and it says this of that group of people. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations. He will be released from prison with one objective, deception. In the four corners of the earth, why? To gather them for battle, and in number, they're like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth, and they surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Satan is released from the abyss, and he is somehow able, with anointed deception, to convince billions. How many is the sand on the seashore? I don't know. A lot. Okay, I'm just going to go with billions. He's going to be able to convince billions of people, not just that he's a good idea, but that they need to overthrow Jesus because Jesus is bad and mean. And he will be effective to deceive billions. However many sand on the seashore, whatever that means, however many sand, grains of sand there are, I'm going with billions. He's going to be able to deceive billions after a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning perfectly. What in the world does this say about the propensity of the human heart? What in the world does this communicate? That even with Jesus on the earth, ruling and reigning for a thousand years, and Satan locked up for that same thousand years, that when he's released, billions will follow Satan to attack Jesus, to overthrow Jesus' good government. That is intense. The book of Revelation paints a very clear theme of the subject of deception, and it's in there because we're supposed to understand the power of deception is real. All right, so now we're going to break up into groups. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and transition now to our time of Q&A. And for those of you who are joining us on uh, Facebook Live, I'll repeat the questions so that you can hear them. Um, why don't we go ahead and start over here. Luke, you guys got your question? Okay, the question is, wait, I just want to give the, the bottom line. I think you're deceived and I love you. I, I just like that line. Uh, so, so for those, <laughs> so the, the question is, all of us probably have got friends, family members that were watching the life pattern go deeper and deeper into deception uh, for that individual. 
Um, how do we approach that? What do we do? Obviously, we can pray for them, and we need to. And I would say this. If you're not willing to pray for them, don't do something else uh, on top. Start there. So prayer is not an alternative. It is the foundation. All right? But if you've been praying for them, one of the things that you're praying is, Lord, give me clarity to know how to unlock their heart. I want to be a part of the process. Lord, I want you to hijack them. But if you're willing to use me, I'm willing to be used. I just need you to tell me the stuff that's going to actually hit their ears in a way that's going to make impact. So then you're praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation for yourself in addition for them. And you're trying to then figure out what's the right timing because timing's everything. It's not just the content. The timing matters too. If they're in a bad mood and they're already mad at you because you took their cookie, now is a bad time to approach them about how they are the one in deception. All right? <clears throat> so, uh, so timing matters. Get the Holy Spirit's, you know, timing. And then get some real clarity from the Word. I, I, it, is, it is great that you love them. God loves them more than you do. They don't need your words. They need the Bible. But you have to give them clarity. You can't just read them a Bible verse. So that Bible verse that you're going to talk to them about has got to be one that you've digested and prayerfully considered so that you've got living revelation from the Word of God to be able to convey to that person in order to be able to confound the deception, the, the false wisdom that they're operating out of. You've got to confront that with true wisdom. But it's got to have authority on it. And so you've got to have clarity from the Word to be able to present to them. You don't want the reasoning that you're talking them out of their uh, deception to be how smart you are or even how much you love them. You can use the I love you as a part of your motive, but it can't be your primary uh, um, argument. Your primary argument has got to be the Word of God. And so with love, you're going to present to them the Word and go, there's this area that... I've been watching. I've been praying about this for you. And listen, I've been chewing on this passage, and I just want to talk to you for three minutes. Don't do it long. Do it short, which means you've got to have double clarity because you can unpack a passage a lot uh, easier, which, which takes a lot less prep to do it in 30 minutes than it's going to take to do it in three. Okay, so really chew on it. Really pray through it. Get understanding and then tell them. And then I would even ask them the question, how do you feel like your life lines up with this Bible passage? How do you feel like the word, how your life lines up with this thought process, with God's desire for your life related to this scripture? You want to use the Bible. It's not a weapon. It's a lifeline. But it's a lifeline that has to be looking like a lifeline when they see it. It can't look like a whip. Okay? And both of them are a rope, by the way. All right? You can't whip them with the word. You've got to offer them a lifeline, but you've got to have clarity on it. You've got to go into it prayerfully. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. All right, Cass, what about you guys? Yeah, great question. Um, so the question is, when Jesus comes back and uh, all the believers that love the Lord get a resurrected body, can those people get deceived during the millennium or after? No. But there is a large group of people who can, and that's the, the most important 
um, interpretive key related to the millennium is a, a group of people, it's a small group relative to the population of humanity, there's a group of people who are identified in the scripture in about seven or eight different verses, especially in the prophets, that are described as those who remain, other translation says those who are left after the great tribulation. There is a small group of people. I don't know how many, let's say out of the six billion people on the earth right now, you know, the number's only going to go up. Uh, however many we wind up with, let's say it's 10 billion when all this thing goes down, there might only be 50 million people left on the planet that didn't take the mark of the beast and that did not give their life to Jesus. They are those who are left. It will be the smallest number of people, though it will still be millions. And again, it might be 50 million, it might be 100 million. We don't know it. It doesn't say. But it is enough to jumpstart the human race all over again. It's enough to restart humanity. It's with those people that will rebuild cities, those people that will repopulate the earth. Because Jesus told us in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. We will not be having babies. But the world will be repopulated by those that didn't take the mark of the beast. And they also did not receive Jesus. They refused both. They refused God. And they refused Satan. Good for them for refusing Satan. Bad for them for refusing God. But it does afford a group of people that will reboot humanity on the earth. That's the group of people that's being described. And so uh, those who are, are, are going to be the ones who will multiply, multiply, multiply. Imagine no more sighing, crying, death. No more uh, Satan. He's locked up. Jesus is the king on the planet ruling the earth, establishing economy, pure you know, air, uh, uh, good food, uh, good infrastructure, all of that. Jesus is the one in charge of the planet. Oh, and by the way, people live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years again. Which, uh, which is described in uh, Isaiah a couple of times. With all of that in place, the population of the earth will boom far beyond any population that the earth has ever seen before. It will get, I, I think it's possible we'll reach a trillion. That's just my opinion because of the doing some math and, and playing around with it. So, so the, the earth's population is going to be massive, and it's that group of people that Satan will be released to and will then go out and deceive the, a number that's like the sand on the seashores. Just so you know, the majority of the people are not going to follow Satan. The majority of the people are going to follow Jesus. But that means the minority is big enough to be like the sand on the seashore. You got me? So that's where I'm going with the trillions and such. So uh, once you have got a, um, a resurrected body, you also have a resurrected mind you have reached the completion. You, you made it. You've got a 70-year internship. Maybe it's a 100-year internship right now. And once you receive the resurrection, you're done. You are now part of the kingdom of God forever. All of the promises for those that receive a resurrected body are forever promises. They're all eternal promises. All we've got to do is make it to that point. So don't be deceived in between now and then. You're good to go. All right, great question. Andy, you guys. Yes, yeah, so the question I believe, and add in if I'm not saying it right, is uh, the Luke 21, 8 passage that I started with, and, and really the other passages that say the same thing, talks about the rise of false Christs, the rise of a, 
of a messageology that will impact the church as well as the lost world where there are going to be people that are going to be proclaiming the end has already come. I am Jesus in the flesh. Uh, I am the Messiah. Um, how is that going to play in? What's that going to look like? Good enough? Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting is the rise of false Christs. A false Christ is very different than a false teacher. A false teacher says uh, sexual morality is a good idea. A false Christ says, I am God. Worship me. Those are very different things. Okay? False teachers and false Christs are very different things. One of the interesting studies is the rise of false Christs in the last couple of decades. The number that have got significant following in the earth right now that are false Jesuses. They are false messiahs. They are not Jesus. They are claiming to be Jesus, and they've lured lots of people into thinking they're Jesus. The influence that they're having, the number of them rising, the, even the impact of social media and how well that allows a voice that in a generation ago would have only been able to reach maybe a few hundred people, now online can reach as many people as, you know, whatever, millions potentially. Um, we're already seeing this. It's going to escalate far beyond its current uh, situation. Here's the thing. As the world continues to get more violent, uh, more um, uh, 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 far from God's purposes and plans, the human spirit senses that and wants deliverance. So there is a propensity of the human heart to want a savior figure, to want a Jesus, to want a Messiah. And if we can get one, even if it's not the real one, sooner than waiting for the real one, and this guy talks the right talk and walks the right walk and, and gives us enough, there is a propensity in the human heart to want to believe that, to believe that the misery is over, that we found the truth, that we're you know, in the right uh, you know, lane, all of those things. And so there's a rise, and it's only going to continue to increase, a trend of false messiahs, false Christs, who are claiming, I am the, not a, I am the solution. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they may use slightly different language, but when it comes down to it, they are claiming to be God's one Messiah figure for the earth that is the, uh, the point of redemption. And so uh, we're seeing that already, but it's rising. Just one of the reasons that this might not be so much on our radar is we live in one of the most biblically literate countries in the earth, not the most, but one of the most. And uh, that works against us in a lot of ways, honestly. But in one way that it works for us is even the nominal Christian that's just gone to church a little bit knows enough about the Bible to be able to sniff out a, a very obvious fake uh, false Christ. But as the biblical literacy of America decreases, which is happening, and as the anointing of false messiahs rises and their ability to lure in and deceive, as those two things happen, we're going to see a rise even within America. So that more or less it, what you're after? And then Caitlin. Yeah, great question. Uh, the question more or less is, Harlot Babylon? Huh? I think that's kind of what I heard. So Harlot Babylon, the, what, what is the Harlot Babylon and what is, the, what is mystery Babylon? Uh, that's a term that's used uh, de describing Harlot Babylon. 
and uh, just kind of as best as we can, what is it? This one's going to take us quite a bit of time to unpack. We're going to spend several sessions. For those of you who find the answer I'm about to give to, uh, to be uh, dissatisfactory, there's an eight-part series out in the lobby that you can get. It's online for free, too. So just go download it for free, an eight-part series on the Harlot Babylon. Here's the, the short version. I actually love that the question uh, included, what is Mystery Babylon? The term mystery means multifaceted. It means veiled. It means layered. It means giant. The term mystery is also used in the great mystery in God's heart of bringing heaven and earth together at the end of the age. To ask, what does it look like when heaven and earth come together at the end of the age and expect a simple answer that's going to be in two sentences and be sufficient is wildly outlandish because it's a mystery. It's layered. It's, it's huge. It's big in God's heart. Mystery Babylon is similar. The, the subject of Babylon at the end of the age is layered. It's going to be uh, 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 um, uh, founded in the city of Babylon, which is being rebuilt right now. It, not this moment, so much effort, but under uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, the city of Babylon was begun to be rebuilt, was excavated, and was being rebuilt in Saddam Hussein, which is just a minute ago. It will be based in Babylon, in the region of Babylon, in the city of Babylon, but it will become a global system. So just think about when people refer to America as D.C. You know what's going on in D.C., and they're actually talking about the headquarters of America. Well, many times in the book of Revelation and throughout uh, the uh, major uh, prophets, when it's talking about the subject of Babylon, it is a global system that is headquartered in Babylon over in you know, uh, you know, Iraq, okay? It's headquartered there, but it's a global system. And the system is economic, it's religious, but more than anything, it's global. It's global unity under the banner of wickedness. The whole world got together and made a pact, and the pact was, let's be as wicked as we can be, let's throw off all the fetters of God, let's throw off all the hindrances, let's give ourselves into every carnal desire and pleasure, and let's punish severely anybody that says we shouldn't be able to have the right to do that. The harlot system will be a global, international, religious, economic. It will be the first global system it's never been before. When the uh, Tower of Babel was in place, that's what they were aiming for, was a global uh, uh, system based there that would then be fully wicked and would rule all of, the, uh, the, all of humanity, wherever humanity was. They're going to get it at the end of the age. The harlot Babylon will be a, uh, a fully global system utilizing technology. Technology isn't the devil. The devil knows how to use technology. Uh, the, the, uh, the system will be international. International isn't the devil. It's just all the nations are going to get together and do the devil's bidding. The, the, sub, the, uh, the international you know, system will be uh, economic. It will be religious. It will be everything else. And it will be fully wicked. In fact... Uh, in the Minor Prophets, the, uh, the prophet, I think it's Zechariah, has an encounter where he's seeing the harlot Babylon at the end of the age, and the angel tells him, this thing that you're seeing, this harlot Babylon at the end of the age, this is wickedness. This is the definition of wickedness at its fullness. And so it will be a wicked system ruling the earth. And again, if you want more information, eight-part series available online. Worship team, come on up. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. 
For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.